Say you want some clarity in sales and marketing and SEP. Well, we have just the remedy. Our podcast, RevOps Therapy. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, I'd love if you could just introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me, Erica. So uh, for everyone listening, my name is Ryan Zadrazil, and I'm the co-founder of Pause, a desktop slash mobile application that helps SDRs connect faster with um, their prospects so they spend less time and they have more time having conversations. Um, with that being said, I I'm a salesperson by trade, but I am a mental health mental health advocate. More importantly, I'm involved with communities like Uncrushed and NAMI, and I'm just very passionate about both mental health and advocating for people with any kind of disability, whether it be a mental illness, physical disability, or anything of that nature. I love that. Thank you, Ryan. I know that's how um, how we connected is just over general interest in mental health and um, kind of how that shows up in in sales and in, in business. Um, you're at a really exciting point with your company right now. Um, can you share a little bit about what's been going on? Definitely. So we're first and foremost redesigning our website and that's going to be ready tomorrow, hopefully, which is super exciting because some of the copywriting needed some, some fine tuning. Um, in addition to that, we're about 10, 10 days to two weeks away from starting our beta testing for pause. So I'm just uh, really excited. I've been getting a lot of customer feedback, just showing people what we have so far, but it's going to be more fun when we put it into action and see how we can help people have more sales conversations in less time. Oh yeah. I'm curious, um, how, how long has it been since kind of you started pause to now when you're just about to launch? So I was working at BetterMind when the idea started. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, my co-founder, Matthew Province, who's the head of training right now at Trainio, he, um, he invited me on his podcast based on the content I was posting on LinkedIn. And we started talking. He's like, Ryan, like, what are your goals? Where do you want to be like, beyond BetterMind? And I'm like, well, I want to start my own SaaS company, but I don't really know where to get started. And he's like... Well, coincidentally, I'm working on a SaaS product right now. Do you want to be my co-founder? <laughs> so that's how it happened. Um, that was back in May or June, probably, um, of last year. So I still worked at Better Mind for a while and slowly worked on pause and then became a thing where I needed to focus on pause more than Better Mind. So I ended up having to leave, which... It's a great company. It was great helping Cody grow the business, but I'm really excited to focus on pause and see where things go. And that's a great story. So you've had you've had a good a good time on podcasts. It sounds like <laughs> yeah, that's a really really fun story. Um, I know, like I, I talk to a lot of SDRs and and salespeople who have kind of ambition to to do something really entrepreneurial, and so. Like I think a lot, or I talk a lot about um, kind of the transferable skills from being a sales rep to starting your own business. And I'd love if you could talk a little bit about what that's been like for you, like what skills you feel like have transferred really well and kind of what things that have been kind of learning, learning by fire. 
Yeah, so Bettermine was like the perfect job to have prior to this because I wore a lot of hats. As the second hire and the first sales hire, I was pretty much building everything out, doing account management, working to, you know, renew accounts. There was a lot went into it. So on the sales spectrum of things, like I'm very prepared for that. What I wasn't prepared for is development, figuring out how to market things, everything else that goes into building a startup. So I've invested a lot of time just educating myself on, I don't know how to write code. Let's be honest. Like I can't do that, but I can understand what they're explaining to me and how to explain my vision to the developers. So I think if you're coming from a sales background and you want to build a startup, like it doesn't hurt to be well-rounded or have a basic understanding of the other aspects of the business. Yeah. Like talking about just being a generalist or, um, kind of wearing a lot of hats. I've heard mixed, mixed feelings about that. Like on the one hand I've, I've read, um, you know, if you're a generalist, that means you're, you're going to be replaced by a specialist at a certain stage in company growth. And that might be true. Um, but it also sounds like if you're the kind of person that really likes to, to build things or to kind of be there from the ground level, like being able to, to wear a lot of hats and be, be more of a generalist, um, that, that, that seems to have been really valuable for you. At the beginning, it will change. I will not always be wearing all these hats. So it's more of laying the foundation for the next person who's going to wear the hat. Yeah. I'm in a really similar spot where it's like, um, a lot of times when I, especially when I talk to my family and they go, what do you do? I say, you know, whatever it takes generally is my, my job description. Um, you know, I lead go to market strategy at greaser and I, uh, yeah, it's just kind of like, Hey, whatever our team needs right now, I just sort of, um, patch all the holes wherever they, <laughs> wherever they come up. So I, I can empathize a lot with that, with that role and also empathize with like a, this isn't going to be forever, you know, it, just it the beginning. Be. Um, <laughs> it's not, not always sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I, I know you, you mentioned, um, before we hit record that you've been talking on LinkedIn for about two years about mental health. Um, and I would, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about kind of like what, how that's been for you just thinking about mental health and talking about mental health while you're on this, this road with pause that I'm sure has its ups and downs. And like, how do you, um, how do you stay focused and how do you kind of take care of yourself while, you know, you're going through this stressful, I'm maybe I'm projecting cause I, it's stressful for me, but it's, um, yeah, just curious about your experience with that. So a few takeaways. The first, when I initially started posting about mental health on LinkedIn, it was a lot of female engagement. I have noticed since I've built rapport with people and they've been, you know, establishing some familiarity with my content. You know, there's been more men engaging and I've been getting more messages from both men and women um, related to mental health. But one thing that I don't like so much is I'll get messages like, hey, your post really resonated with me, but I can't comment or like it because my boss will get concerned. Like, and that scares me a little bit that there's not a level of transparency with certain companies where you don't feel comfortable, like, I guess, being you to a certain extent. So I'd really love to see that change a little bit and people feel more comfortable opening up because that's really a component of what builds the stigma is when people aren't comfortable 
you know, opening up about something like that. If they're not ready, I get it. Like if you're not ready to talk about mental health, that's okay. But if you are and you feel restricted, I think that's kind of an unfair position to be in. Yeah, that that's really concerning to hear. Not only that, that people feel like um, just they, they can't talk about it generally, but that it might affect how people at work um, see them or treat them or affect their employment. Like that's that's so concerning. Um, and I don't know if you relate to this at all, but I, I feel like in in sort of the circles that I kind of am in outside of my job. Like I feel like people I know and people I'm around are so open about mental health. Um, like I spend two days a week being a psychotherapist. So like I'm quite literally just like immersed in, in mental health so often that it's, I think it's good for me to continue to hear those types of things. Just so I know that there are so many people out there that still have, um, there's still stigma around it in so many places, but it, it just continues to shock me with all of the information that's out there. Um, and just how easy it is to get access to that information. It just continues to surprise me how, how difficult it is to still talk about, um, like, what needs to change? That's a very complex question. But my my initial answer <laughs> would be, I, and I always say this to people, like, and I don't know if it's changed, but in grade school, very little talk about mental health, very little education. And maybe it's changed now. I don't know. I'm not in grade school anymore. So I don't have access to the, like, curriculum. But even middle school and high school, not a lot of, like, um, proactive, like, making it aware to people. And then like at Better Mind, you get to college and there's a counseling center and counseling is very promoted. So it seems like there's a shift. And I don't know if this is different public versus private schools or different grade levels before college, but it's like, here's the counseling center. Let's figure out what's been going on for the last 18 years. That's kind of what it feels like to me when I look at it from an external lens. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I remember it wasn't really until I got to grad school that I understood what emotions were. You know, I always thought, you know, when I was younger and I was in competitive sports and then when I was in sales for the first time, you know, I always thought emotions were like a weakness that got in your way. You know, it wasn't really until I got to grad school that I realized like, oh, emotions are our reactions to our environment based on past experiences. And there is something that, that feels really really logical about that to me. It's like, oh, if I had a bad experience with this and I encounter that thing again, I'm not going to feel good about it. It's like, that makes sense. Um, and, th and that seems so basic, but I think my point um, to tie it back to what you said is that I don't think we learn much about how to manage our emotions, how to pay attention to our emotions and our, just our general embodied experience when we're kids. And it's just so strange that we don't do that. It's almost like, like, you know, um, I don't know, like a, a manual for how, how it works to be a human. Like we don't really get that. And that just seems so basic and so fundamental. So I would, I'd be a huge advocate for having that be standard curriculum in schools a hundred percent. Yeah. Like just a brief story about that. Um, so when I was 13, I, I don't, I know this now in hindsight, but I definitely started having issues with the bipolar 
but I had no way of communicating that to the psychiatrists or my parents or my teachers because there was no education around. I didn't know what bipolar was. I didn't know what the symptoms were. So just an example from my own personal experience, like where that thought process that I was explaining before kind of comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, it, it makes me think too about how I think another thing about mental health education and conversation that I think needs to change is, you know, talking about mental health solely as sort of like an intervention when there are problems, right? Um, that it like, it kind of just reminds me sometimes I make this analogy of, you know, you don't, assume that someone who's going to the gym every day is going to the gym because they're in poor physical health, right? It's like, it's like, no, you can go to the gym at any point. It's just, you do that because you want to improve your physical health. And so similar things with therapy or even just mental health education. Um, like I think there, there might be an assumption or there might have been an assumption when sort of standard curriculum was developed in schools that, oh, you don't need to worry about mental health until there's a problem. Um, and that's just so untrue, just very basic things like you're saying, like, how do I have vocabulary or how do I have language or understanding of how to communicate my experience? And by the time that you might be in distress, like you, you need to have already had that education in order to explain that. Um, and even to just to help, like, I'm just thinking about what we've all been through the past few years with the pandemic, um, just to, just to make it through day-to-day -day life with healthy coping mechanisms and just being able to stay, stay present day-to-day -day when, when you're feeling distressed, like you can educate yourself and you can make your experience better if you have that information. And I don't think that people think of mental health that way for the most part. I would agree. It's, it's a, what do they call it? You said crisis, but crisis intervention. That's a common term I hear um, with mental health like incidents, but what can we do to be proactive and avoid that crisis intervention? What can we do now? I understand not in all scenarios, it's going to be like that, but there are a lot of things we can do to prevent that crisis intervention having to come to that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and even like when, when someone does have a mental health crisis, um, it's very helpful if people around them are also educated and know how to be supportive. Cause I think that's another thing too, is that when someone does have a mental health crisis, it can be so isolating because there is so much stigma attached. People don't know how to respond. They don't know how to be supportive. And some people are really afraid to ask. Um, and I know one thing I was thinking about as you were talking earlier is just issues around mental health care accessibility. Like I'm a, I'm almost done with, the clinical internship that I'm working in right now in community mental health. And a lot of my peers are kind of making this decision, you know, do I want to stay in community mental health or do I want to go into private practice? And private practice means that the, the community that has access to you is much different than a community mental health setting. But as a therapist, like, 
private practice is just, you can actually make a livable wage. Whereas like, if you go into community mental health, like you can't make a livable wage or it's not like, at least in Seattle, it's, it's really hard to, um, and you get burned out so easily. And I think that's a fundamental problem too. Like we're having a mental health crisis in this country and I'm just kind of like witnessing, um, you know, it's like, oh, do I want to become a psychotherapist and make $50,000 a year? Do I want to make six figures, say, in, in tech sales? It's like, it's just, there's something about that to me that feels like that's not a good decision to ask someone to make. It's a tough decision because it's your passion versus what you're currently doing. And you're both equally passionate, probably, of both things, but it's a, it's a hard fork in the road. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think just generally speaking for for mental health care professionals, I think it's um, similar to what, what's happening with teachers right now, right? You're seeing like a ton of teachers wanting to move from an education system into um, SAS and becoming SDRs. And I was telling someone recently, yeah, the next wave is going to be therapists because therapists have a lot of the same transferable soft skills that teachers do. Um, and they make a very similar salary. And it's like a very similar system where you don't always have the freedom that you need to serve the people that you got into that profession to really help. Like sometimes you're being asked to do things that you know aren't helpful um, and you, you can't actually you get into it because you have this big heart and you want to help people. And then it just ends up being a bunch of bureaucracy and burnout. And I just I think that 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 needs to change. Uh, what, um, just kind of going back to like the, the, um, entrepreneurship piece, um, like what would you say are, um, are some takeaways or some kind of things that you've learned in the last couple of years about how to, how to care for, for your mental health while you're undertaking kind of a stressful project? So I, I've learned from other people first and foremost, like, and myself, I guess, but, um, Jeff Risley uh, from the Sales Health Alliance uh, taught me the importance of putting self-care on my calendar. So when it's time to take a lunch or take a walk, it's time to step away from the computer, which can be challenging at times because we all have a lot to do. And then um, James Buckley talk, taught me that there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's a work-life integration. Like you have to find a way to make them work cohesively. It's not a, a balancing act. So those are like the two biggest takeaways I've had that have become applicable to what I'm doing with entrepreneurship that have kind of helped me through the journey so far. Yeah, I love that. I think um, what is what is um, work-life integration look like for you at this point where you're like a few days away from your beta launch? Like I imagine that you probably are working more than, than you typically would. So like what does that look like for you right now? So it could be me waking up at 5 a.m. Like no, I don't normally wake up at 5 a.m., but maybe I wake up at 5 a.m. and do work for two hours and then I step away and go on a long walk. And then I come back for my meetings. Then after my meetings, do a little bit more work. If I'm feeling like up to it, you know, I can do whatever I want throughout the day, as long as I'm there for the meetings and I make time for myself and get the work done that needs to be done. So it's less, you're still locking yourself into some sort of regular schedule, but I think it just helps to have that variability where you're not always at your desk, like working 24 seven, because that's like we were talking about 
a good way to burn yourself out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um, something I've been noticing too, that I've been seeing more on LinkedIn is just having, um, and I know we were just talking about this, like having some self-awareness where, you know, like, for example, I like to take a walk in the morning. So I'm going to always schedule a walk then, or I like doing my creative work during this time, or I like having meetings during that time, or like, um, how over the last year that you've been working, um, working on your company, like, have you, have you become more aware as you've had, like, have you had more freedom over your schedule and kind of how have you adjusted certain things or blocked off certain times to do different kinds of work? So something I do consistently every day is take a walk with my dad, whether it's at the end of the workday in the middle of the workday or in the morning, that's like my, my happy space or my white space where I just talk to my dad and let him know what's going on. And we, you know, just, it's a nice way to unwind and refocus whether it's during the workday or after, or before I get started, like it just helps me center myself. So that's my big um, self-care activity that I always make sure I do every day. Oh man. I love that. That's precious time with, with your dad too. Um, I know we talked a little bit about self-awareness before we hit record. Um, and I would love to kind of revisit that, um, kind of just your, your general thoughts on being, being a, a self-aware salesperson and what that looks like. Yeah. So I think what we were talking about was like how you frame the question, like how do I become a great SDR? How, how do I become a sales leader? How do I become an AE? And I guess the way I would look at that is like, why do I want to become an AE? Why do I want to become a sales leader? why do I want to be an SDR and reverse engineering to find like the actual reasoning that of what drives you to want to do that, not just taking someone else's word for it and doing what they tell you to do in order to become it. Like, why do you want to be that? Yeah. So if we were to use SDR as an example, um, and let's say, cause I, I manage our SDR team. And that's one of the things that I, I try to ask pretty often is sort of like, what's your motivation? And let's say that someone's transitioning from say education to being an SDR. Um, and their reasoning for wanting to be an SDR is to like work from home, to spend more time with their family and to increase their salary. Like if, if we're working on this sort of reverse engineering, what would be the next step once you find that why? Yeah, definitely. So once you discover the why, I think it's applying it to how you're going to get it done. So it's like, instead of the how, it becomes the why. And then how am I going to do this? How am I going to take those components and do the things I need to have that work from home lifestyle or the other two things you mentioned that I forgot? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, usually I, I kind of make that assumption that teachers transitioning to to sales are probably doing it for, you know, flexibility and money. Um, that yeah. might not always be true. Um, but that was, um, that was a big part of why, why I made that, made that transition as a former teacher is I said, Oh, at this, 
there's just so much more opportunity here. I'm not going to be, um, like before I transitioned to become an SDR, um, I was told that my, that I was frustrated in my work because my expectations of myself and people around me were too high and that I needed to lower my expectations so I could be like just more in sync with my workplace. And I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. This is, you know, this is like my manager, the person that's supposed to be like, you know, leading me and helping me grow is telling me that my biggest obstacle is my high expectations. Like that, that was honestly the thing that made me just be like, all right, like I got to try something else. Cause this is just, I, I can't just say, okay, what I, what I have is good enough. And I don't want to strive for more. Like that's just not, <laughs> but that's not the self-awareness piece so. right there. You were self-aware that you were in a situation where you felt like you couldn't grow anymore. So you did something about it. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, it was, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into either. I just kind of knew someone who knew someone that made an intro for me at outreach and I got, you know, I earned the job, but, uh, yeah, I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, and here I am like five years later still in it. So you never know where that can take you. Um, yeah, something something I've I've said before is like I wish I wish that more salespeople were asking like okay I know I want to be great um, rather than like how do I close more deals and how do I you know like I've I've heard the term tactical empathy that Chris Voss uses and I've I've heard a lot of salespeople start talking about tactical empathy um, and something I think a lot about especially since I started my internship and that I've been working towards my license is like I. I I wish people would be asking, like, how do I become more self-aware? Like, how do I, how do I become more, um, more aware of like my blind spots basically? Um, and that's something that I know when I've been in like really difficult conversations internally and with, with customers, um, or on, on difficult sales calls, like kind of my willingness to be really, really honest about how I'm feeling or what's going on in the moment. I feel like that's actually what's worked to my benefit to put me in a position to have sort of like bigger conversations. Um, and I don't hear people talking about that, that like, you know, I would, I would say like my biggest professional growth has come from like therapy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but I, yeah, I, I would say that's not something I hear talked about a lot. Yeah. I'd have to agree. It's, the empathy piece is like something that come like some people just naturally are very empathetic. Like, like I'm sure a lot of the teachers and the psychiatrists that may be making the shift, like they definitely have that skill, but understanding how to apply it to sales can be a little bit of a different ball game. Cause there's a lot of like active listening involved and at not asking leading questions, like framing the questions a certain way. So that all still takes some education, I think in order to be successful trying to do like, as you framed it, a uh, tact tactful empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing, one thing that I just like a very practical thing that I find really helpful, um, is even just like expressing doubt to someone like, you know, if, if I'm on a sales call with someone and I feel like they're not telling me the whole story, I'll just say that. I say, Hey, you know, Ryan, I hear you saying X, Y, Z. And I'm just feeling like that's not the whole story. What else are you thinking? And people are just like, Whoa, you know, but it's just like, that's, that's honest. And if, you know, if someone pushes back at that or gets angry at that, like, you know, it's like, all right, interesting. That's data. Um, but people don't usually get angry when I say things 
things like that. They're usually like kind of grateful that I said something because I think most people in a sales conversation or any kind of difficult conversation just tend to like avoid conflict as much as possible. And even within ourselves, right, we want to like avoid internal conflict. So I think we try to like smooth things out even subconsciously, but just being able to say to someone how you feel or how like so something just doesn't seem right or something doesn't seem off. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the most important sales skills is just to be able to call that out without fear of losing a deal or, or losing a relationship. It's like the, um, I'm going into a meeting, just call me another time. Like, do you really want me to call you back? Is this a conversation we can just have real quickly? Like some people will be really transparent with you and say, Hey, just call me in 30 minutes. And I had that the other day, somebody, I called somebody and I tried to push for the conversation. He said, Hey, just call me in 30 minutes. And then he actually texted me and was like, you can call me now. They're late. And I didn't see the text, but we eventually connected. But I was just so shocked by how I was transparent with them. Just, this is why I'm calling. Can we have a quick conversation? He was open to it. It just wasn't right at that moment, which is okay. Yeah. 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 And I, I love that. It's like, it's not, it's not just about like pushing someone when you want something, like it's not only about pushing someone when you want to close a deal or get a meeting. It's also about, um, I mean, I guess it's always that you always have an interest or like some sort of investment in what they're saying, but I'm just thinking about like pushing someone for a no too, right? Like, Hey, if this isn't going to work out, just let me know now because I don't want to waste my time, (laughs) you know, not in those exact words, but I think when you, um, it reminds me just a lot of people talk about this, but I know Josh Braun talks about like letting go of the outcome. Like you just, you have to let go of, of the outcome in order to be fully honest in the moment. And so I think, but in order to be fully honest in the moment, I think you have to be really self-aware too. So you can really respond to what's happening rather than just like the script you have in your head or just like just thinking about the ultimate goal. Um, yeah, I think that's hard. Yeah, it's important to detach from the outcome because if you're so fixated on getting a meeting, that's going to drive the whole way you have your conversation. And sometimes it works out, but other times you might get greedy and push too hard and then you lose them. And if you just would have stepped back and listened instead of like talking over them or doing things like that, the call may have been way more successful. Yeah. 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 That's, that's feedback I've given to someone recently, which was, you know, the customer expressed a doubt. And the first thing you said was, how do we fix it? And it's like, basically what you hear when you're a customer is like, oh, you just, you, you want me to forget about this? I still have a lot of concerns. Like you can't fix this right away. And instead I was like, Hey, what you have to do is you have to say, okay, I hear that you feel upset about this. We really dropped the ball. It's horrifying for me to hear that you had that experience with us and that's not acceptable. Pause. (laughs) And then wait for them to say, yeah, thank you. And it's like, at that point, it's like, I think they feel safe enough to then entertain a solution. But until you really like stop and say, oh, I hate that you said that. um, I think people find that type of honesty and that willingness to just be like, Oh, that I feel bad about that rather than just be like, how do we make it better? Um, but again, I think that's, that's hard to, to identify that in the moment when you're talking to someone, cause that's so uncomfortable, but that's just a piece of self-awareness, I think. And it's not something that happens overnight. I, I still have bad calls. Like everyone still has bad calls and it's something like 
it's okay. Like, you're not going to have a hundred percent success yep. rate cold calling. Like it's just not going to happen. Totally. And that's, that's really important too. Just having a lot of, a lot of patience and grace for yourself. And that's part of being self-aware too, right? Is just realizing that we're human and we're going to make mistakes. Um, and if we just try to do the right thing, whenever we, we can, like, that's really as much as we can expect out of ourselves. As long as we give it our best, you know, that's all we can do. And some days you're not going to be able to give it your best because you're just not going to be in it. And that's okay. Like, just like we have bad calls, we have bad days too. And you got to give yourself that grace in order to keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's cool to hear from someone that's sort of like on the brink of, of launching a huge project too, to know that you can, you can get to that point where you can create something and you can have success with that attitude. Cause I think that's something that when I'm in like a lower, lower quality mental health state, I like, I, I think one thing I feel afraid of is, you know, what if I take good care of myself by detaching, turning off my screen, going for a walk and I can't get work done. And then I won't be good at my job anymore. You know, it's like when I feel like my mental health and my well being are like in direct competition with my professional success, that's stressful. Um, but I've, I've learned that in the last couple of years. So like, Oh, actually my professional success increases when I take care of myself, contrary to what I believed maybe five or 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Have you, have you had like a similar journey or have you always just been able to prioritize your, your mental health before you get burned out? No, <laughs> I've full transparency, like with, with bipolar, like you do have episodes and I've had some and they've set me back a lot. I had a really bad one when I was 28, 33 now. And like, that was when it kicked in. Like, Ryan, you have to do something beyond just taking your medications. Like it's not enough. Like you have to take care of your physical health. You have to take care of your mental health. You need a support network. And I think that was in the post that we, uh, you had seen from me that kind of initiated this conversation was being self-aware, having a support network. Things like that are so important, whether you have a mental illness or you're just trying to take care of your mental health, the, Having a support network is so crucial to like long-term mental and physical health. Definitely. I think, um, I think another thing that I probably learned way too late that we should also be learning about early in school is that connection is a fundamental human need. Um, and I think especially over the last couple of years, I know personally, like I've really felt the strain of being disconnected from, from people just by not being in proximity to people. Like we can talk on the screen all day, but there's something about being in a room with people um, and not, not having a job when you do it, right? Just like being around people for leisure or for just, you know, connection. Um, I think that's, that's so important to have that outside of work and the communities that can kind of bridge that to um, like professional networks that aren't part of your job necessarily, but that you can be part of to share experiences with. Um, I love that, that those kinds of communities are becoming more and more just prevalent. Yeah. So with COVID and everything and working remote, like I, I do feel a lot of distance from people I used to spend time with, but at the same time, like I've become more intertwined and closer to a lot of the people that, you know, I've met through LinkedIn. Like we talk more frequently, we have phone calls 
sometimes multiple times a day. And it just makes a huge difference knowing that someone's there for you, even though they can't physically be there for you, they're still there for you. And that can make all the difference. Yeah, that's awesome. What, um, what advice would you have for people who are in a position where they are feeling a little isolated and they have some maybe ambitious professional goals and want to reach out um, and make connections with people? I know there's a lot of people in that position right now. So what advice would you have for them if they're just getting started? Yeah, I I suppose a piece of it really depends on who you're trying to connect with. Like, say you're an SDR. Are you trying to connect with other SDRs? Do you want to get to know sales leaders, um, founders? It's just audio messaging has been like the most effective component for me, like in order to start conversations with people on LinkedIn, at least, because it's just more personable. Like, hey, Erica, saw this on your profile. Would love to chat sometime. Ryan. Like it sounds a lot better than just getting a text message. I'm sure everybody's sending those out right now, like all the in-mails and cold pitches and whatnot. So audio and video messaging has helped me a lot, like better connect with people and have conversations with the people like that I want to initiate conversations with. Yeah, that's great. Um, Well, I think that might be a good place to end. Anything else that you want to say before we end or anything you want to plug while we're here? Um, obviously plugging pause, uh, <laughs> dialpause.com. Go ahead and check it out. But more importantly, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you made it all the way to end, I to the end, I'd love to chat with you. Um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty responsive and I just appreciate uh, everyone who listened to the episode. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. It was really fun talking with you. Um, would love to do it again sometime. Definitely. Hot dog. That was a great episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Greaser Consulting or any information you heard on today's episode, visit us online at www.greaserconsulting.com. Be sure to click the follow button and the bell icon to be notified of the latest here at RevOps Therapy. Thanks and see you real soon.